Hey everyone, and welcome to Theana Money, where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. This is Jeremy Collins, the host of Theana Money. This week on the podcast, we are addressing an important question that gets thrown at us as an accusation quite often. Do conservatives care about the poor? Do conservatives care for the poor, both since they're related and nearly mean the same thing? So I'm going to break that down, address it from several perspectives, and more or less just dismantle the argument and prove how we as theonomists actually love the poor more than those who throw the accusation at us do. But before we dive into all that, I wanted to take a moment to ask y'all to subscribe to the podcast if you are listening right now and have not already subscribed on your favorite podcast catcher. Turn on auto downloads so you don't miss an episode. Give Theana Money a rating and review and tell your friends about the podcast. It helps a lot when you do all that, so thank you. So this week, like I said, we are answering that question that typically is more of an accusation. Do conservatives care for the poor? I'm sure someone somewhere means this as a legitimate question and wants to know what conservatives do to help the poor. But usually it is asked as a gotcha question, with the assumption being that conservatives do nothing to help the poor. For the sake of the accusation, this often loops together different groups of conservatives. An atheist who is a Republican is very different from a Christian who is a Republican, and both are quite different from a theonomist Christian. However, all should be somewhere in the conservative camp, at least as those who are not conservative define it. And that is part of the issue with this accusation. The vastly different groups that get put together, that way a criticism that might be accurate against one of those groups can be applied to all of them. That is an issue with all sorts of different accusations against large groups, not just this one we're looking at today. Take myself and those in the listening audience who agree with me about God's law. We are politically conservative because we apply God's word to our politics, and that makes us be conservative on many issues. Although it does not make us agree with Republicans about everything, If you've listened to more than a couple episodes of Theana Money, you have likely heard me make points that neither the Republicans nor the Democrats would agree with, because I'm trying to uphold God's law as a guidepost for today, and both parties in many ways depart from that standard. Especially since, in many respects, the Republican Party today just seems to believe whatever the Democrats believed a dozen years ago. That is, all too often, all they are conserving a slightly slower breakdown of our society. 
I know that is not the case for all people in that party. I know of some who are in politics to do good work, much like William Wilberforce did in the United Kingdom, and they have to run as a Republican if they want a chance of getting elected. And that involves being careful they don't alienate the Republican Party too much or they will be forced to run third party and then probably never take office and never accomplish anything. So I know there are people who consider themselves Republican doing good work, but I'm talking about the party in general, especially the higher ups and the general trend within it right now. But where we stand as theonomists attempting to uphold the spirit of God's law that is for all societies and cultures, which is not the ceremonial law, which we fulfill in Christ, though we still often get accusations of being Judaizers. Those of us who, like myself, take that position, though we may be conservative politically because, well, applying the Ten Commandments to a nation's laws typically makes you do that, we are vastly different than an atheist who is a Republican. He sees the Republican Party as better than the Democrat Party, not because he looks at things such as abortion and legalized theft, although both parties do this one, the Democrats just do it more, not because he looks at those things and says these are against God's law and I can't support them, but because he looks at all sorts of different issues and decides that the Republicans are better for society, either because they are good or they are the lesser of two evils, and thus he votes for them on that basis. Perhaps he is a Republican because God has given him enough common grace to understand how certain things in the world operate, and thus he recognizes how bad the Democrats are on most issues. Or perhaps he is a businessman and he recognizes that because of things like regulation and the Laffer curve, the economy typically does better with Republicans in power than with Democrats, or for any other number of reasons. But whatever the reason, he rejects God and God's law, so he does not hold conservative politics because he sees objective rules that every nation must follow that were given by the lawgiver with a capital L. He most likely holds to conservative politics because he sees them as most practical, as in his reasoning is pragmatic, not based on objective truth from the God of the universe. Because of those differences, his politics look vastly different than the theonomists, although both are considered conservatives and get lumped in together in critiques like the one we are responding to today. Also, don't hear me trashing unbelievers who hold to conservative politics as an end in and of itself or something like that. They have a better effect on society than unbelievers who hold to leftist politics, but both need the same thing, to first and foremost repent of their sin and believe the gospel and, Lord willing, after that to take their Christianity into the public ring by becoming theonomous. For the time being, at least the secular Republican Party train is only heading for the cliff at 40 miles per hour, whereas the Democrat Party train is heading for the same cliff at 100 miles per hour, and it's a lot closer to said cliff. Both are wrong and against God's design for nations, but one buys Christians a bit more time to get work done and try to change the train's course by the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit than the other does. So that long diatribe to say that there are many different groups under the word conservative 
that we are told do not care about the poor like, li like liberals supposedly do. What that typically means is that conservatives are against welfare in the various forms it takes, whereas liberals, although the word leftist is more appropriate, typically do. This claim actually reveals their hidden presupposition. Welfare is care for the poor, so anyone who opposes it does not care for the poor. First, I'm going to respond to that generally, like from the general conservative standpoint, then specifically from the theonomist standpoint. I'm doing it that way because, like I've already mentioned, the general Republican viewpoint does not reflect myself nor those listening who agree with me about theonomy, but the accusation is against conservatives in general, so it is a little bit lazy to just defend it from my small sex position and not respond to the argument as a whole to at least some degree. The general secular conservative standpoint to this would probably be more pragmatic, pointing out statistics on how handouts from the government do not actually help people in the long run. Thomas Sowell has some wonderful statistics on this that show the harm that has been done by government programs that gave people goods and services for free or reduced prices. They might also point out how much money of the tax money that goes to these programs gets used in um, administrative costs. Numbers so high that a nonprofit with similar ones would be considered inefficient with donor money by nonprofit standards. And all of the money that does go towards the mission but is done inefficiently and ineffectively so it doesn't actually help anyone. That's another thing they might point out. Does anyone remember all the thousands of dollars worth of equipment in Detroit public schools that was purchased and thrown in a closet until it was too old to be of any use, never once being in the hands of a student? Maybe most of you don't, and I only know about this because I live near Detroit when this all came out, but this really did happen. Like, thousands of dollars worth of computers thrown in a closet until the computers were so outdated that new ones need to be bought instead money completely wasted by the first city in the entire country to go bankrupt, which also happened around the same time this did. That would be the evidentialist way of going about proving the conservative side does care for the poor. However, we are theonomists, so we are presuppositional. We are not just presuppositional in our apologetics, but we also are in our economics as well. We do not have a pragmatic, ends justify the means approach to what economic principle is best, we start with God's word and let that guide our economics. Then when someone asks us why we hold to that particular economic point, whether in microeconomics or macroeconomics, we do not explain all of the evidence of our position and therefore that's why we hold to it. No, we are presup. We say God has spoken and therefore we hold to such and such economic position. Then we can go into all the statistics and how that position is better for society as a whole and whatever group, in this case the poor in particular. But the point is that those evidences are not our starting point. God is. And they just corroborate our views because all of creation is consistent with the fact that God is. Evidentialism says evidences, therefore God. 
Evidentialism says statistics, therefore conservative economics. Presup says God, therefore evidences. Presup says God's word, therefore conservative economics, therefore statistics. And which word comes before the therefores is vastly important and makes a huge difference in how you approach these things. So as a theonomist, that is, as one who holds to a presuppositional view of God's law and how it relates to society, my reason for conservative economics is vastly different than the secular Republican one, and my economics is often different from theirs as well. As Dr. James White said, even before he was post mill he said this, I'm so conservative, I'm to the right of Republicans. So, like the secular Republicans, I would argue that care for the poor and socialism are two different things, and that the poor should be cared for directly, not by government programs, funded by taxation and printing new money. And inflation is also taxation, just a different form of it. I argue that care for the poor and socialism are two different things because God does not contradict himself. That's where I'm a theonomist and I come to these conclusions in a presuppositional manner. God tells us to care for the poor, but God also tells us that theft is a violation of his law. Theft is sinful, and thieves will not inherit the kingdom of God. Stealing doesn't become okay because the government is the one doing it instead of an individual. Robin Hood macroeconomics is just as morally wrong as Robin Hood as an individual. Stealing and debasement of currency are both wrong in God's word. For the latter, look at condemnations of adding dross to silver and gold or an unjust scale. Don't get me wrong, taxation is something that the civil magistrate is able to do. Romans 13 mentions this. But that does not mean that he gets a free pass for any level of taxation he wants to. When Samuel is warning Israel about the bad things that a king will do if they set one over themselves in 1 Samuel 8, he mentions that the king will take a tenth from them. Today we think of a 10% tax rate as a daydream that will never come to reality. In the Bible, a civil magistrate who takes the tithe as his tax rate is setting himself up to be like God by exacting God's tax rate from the people. So such a low tax rate as 10% is actually higher than a civil magistrate should charge from his citizens. The Bible also describes the state sphere of sovereignty as the minister of the sword, the one who punishes lawbreakers, whereas the family and church spheres of sovereignty are the ones that should be showing mercy to help those in need, especially the church. You can hear more about that by listening to the episode I dropped a couple weeks ago called Spheres of Sovereignty. So when the state steps outside its God-ordained role to take on the minister of mercy role, which belongs to the church, as well as the family, not to the state, it is doing that which God has forbidden it to do. A tax rate below 10% is not enough for modern welfare, so the state must raise the tax rate or print new money, which is currency debasement, the modern equivalent of adding dross to silver and gold to make more of it. All of these things God forbids in scripture. 
and the nation that rejects God's laws in this manner will suffer the consequences. Those may be only the consequences God has written into the fabric of the world that are the results of violating his laws. Or God may also execute special judgment on that nation. Either way, the best course of action is to avoid both by obeying God. So the nation that raises the tax rate above 10% to give goods and services for free or at a reduced rate to the poor is violating multiple prohibitions in Scripture. By exacting a tax rate higher than the tithe, the civil magistrate is stealing and setting himself up as God, violating both the first and the eighth commandments. By partaking in responsibilities which belong to the other two spheres of sovereignty, and not to his, the civil magistrate is violating multiple passages throughout Scripture, including Romans 13, and is like Saul when he offered the sacrifice instead of Samuel in 1 Samuel 13. Notice how chapter 13 of that book is not very long after chapter 8 of that book when Samuel was warning them about everything that would happen if they set a king up over themselves. However, the Bible also says that we are to help the poor. That must be read in light of what we just looked at, not ignoring one to focus on only the other. Scripture doesn't contradict itself, so if we are making it do so, it's because we're misinterpreting it. So-called Christian socialists, and James Cone would be an example of this, if I remember correctly from when I read a painful number of his books several years ago, they would recognize that Scripture teaches us to care for the poor, then reject where Scripture does not allow for the state to do so, thus making room for their traditions by rejecting clear teaching of Scripture, just like Jesus condemned the Pharisees for in Mark 7, where they used their Corbin law to get around honoring their parents materially and financially. But we can't make Scripture contradict itself, then ignore the parts we don't like. We can't do that concerning salvation first and foremost, but we also can't do it concerning origins, philosophy, or in this instance, economics. Scripture says that we must love others and care for the poor, but we also must not violate Scripture and how we love others and care for the poor. Just because God says to do something and gives us some general principles as to go about it, that doesn't mean we can do it any way we want to. We have to follow the general principles he gives us. If my wife and I decide to paint the bedroom a different color, she would expect me to paint it with a roller and a brush, not a paintball marker, which is the proper term for a paintball gun and it relates to how paintball originated, but that's a topic for another day. The means are important as well as the ends. So if the poor must be cared for, and the state is not the one who should do it, then how should the poor be cared for? This is something that has been discussed on multiple episodes of Theana Money before, and I recommend you listen to episodes such as Caesar, Care for the Poor, and Socialism after you finish this one to see a response to a more precise criticism, not the more broad one we are looking at today. The poor should be cared for by families helping the less fortunate, by my wife and I helping those who are in difficult situations, whether it be by giving them money, a place to stay, advice and counsel, 
assistance in finding a job, or what have you. The poor should be cared for by the church, by local churches taking some of their funds to do things like food pantries, giving directly to the poor, giving to nonprofit organizations that help the poor, and by starting their own ministries to help the poor. After all, ministry should be done out of and under the oversight of a local body of believers. By local churches organizing groups within the church to do things to help the poor. In this instance, the family and church spheres of sovereignty are working together to help the poor. You can be creative with that. I used vague language there for a reason. Maybe your church will do some sort of career day every so often. Each one starts with a sermon or a Bible study or something that can make it evangelistic for unbelievers who attend. And after that, men from the church in a particular occupation give training in that to show those who show up to it to how to do the job and to help them learn valuable skills. Which occupation is the focus can change each time one of those events is held. And if one of the men there to do the training owns his company or has enough power to influence hiring at the one where he works, he could even decide to hire one of the people who show up to the event after seeing the type of work he does and getting a glimpse at the type of man he is during the event. This is just one example of what your church can do to help the poor among myriads of possibilities. Now, after we look at these things that start first and foremost with God and Scripture, then we can use statistics from men like Thomas Sowell if we want to supplement the concepts we have already shown from Scripture. Government aid does not help people long-term overall. Sowell has shown this in multiple of his books. Aid from Christian families and churches does help long-term if they do it properly and with Scripture as their guide. They don't just hand out money to anyone who claims they have need of it without checking the character of the person. Christian aid provides better training than any government-sponsored programming because the training is done from a Christian worldview with that worldview all throughout the education. Christians also consider, or at least should consider, the person they are helping. The poor tithe in the Old Testament was to help the worthy poor and the unworthy poor, one who squandered the money given to him three years ago during the last poor tithe, may not be able to receive any this time unless he has displayed repentance for how he misused it last time, which would keep people from staying on charity without even trying to get off of it, with the exception of those who have genuine medical or mental issues or due to old age that would keep them from being able to work for a long time, if not the rest of their lives. For more about that concept of the worthy versus unworthy poor, check out the episode I did a couple months ago with Matt Belleville called Taxes and Christian Welfare. Also, one major difference, the most important difference between Christian care for the poor and government aid, is that Christian care for the poor comes alongside gospel ministry. Preaching the gospel to those to whom we minister, calling them to repentance and faith, counseling them from the inerrant word of God, not proclaiming behavior modification based in atheistic evolutionary psychology. We preach regeneration and heart change, not behavior change. 
and that can do more to help the poor come out of poverty than the money, supplies, and education we give them, but we still do both. So conservatives that are theonomists help the poor, but we do so in a better way than the statists do by proclaiming socialism. They think that we do not care for the poor because we are against socialism, but in fact we care for the poor better than they do, in part because we are against socialism. All of that aside, let's look at this with some numbers to put proof behind the statements. If conservatives really do not care for the poor as much as liberals do, then we should see giving statistics year by year prove that liberals by far outpace conservatives when it comes to charitable giving. So what do we see? We see that charitable giving statistics are dominated by Christians, LDS, Muslims, Jews, and Catholics. So Christianity and false religions that heavily draw from the Christian worldview lead people to be more generous with their money. Also note that most people who fall into one of the groups I just listed fall into the conservative category. So those who claim that conservatives do not care for the poor as much as they do need to put their money where their mouth is and start actually trying to help the poor directly. Not try to help the poor with other people's money then talk about how much more loving they are than those who actually give money away to charitable causes. That was looking at these stats in general, but let's look at a particular case with someone who should be one of the most generous people in our country, if the things he says are true and not just virtue signaling. If I remember correctly, on a recent tax statement, from Bernie Sanders that was made public, he gave only about 1.5% of his annual income to charitable causes. So the guy who claims how much he wants to help the poor, who lambasts conservatives for supposedly not caring about the poor, actually does virtually nothing to help charitable causes. He just wants to force others by the power of the government to care for the poor via taxation, then tell those who actually help the poor that he loves the poor and they don't. He's a liar and making a career off of it, then attacking those who actually do what he claims he does, which is about the worst degree of hypocrisy I can think of. If Bernie Sanders wants to tell me something about helping the poor, then he can show actual generosity with his wealth for probably the first time in his life. So to summarize, how do we respond with the question, which is typically an accusation, do conservatives care about the poor? We respond first by pointing out the presuppositions behind that question when it is typically asked, which is that the welfare state is how we care for the poor, and therefore if you do not support the welfare state, then you do not care about the poor. We then point out how welfare state violates scripture. This is how we respond with presuppositional economics. We point out the assumed presuppositions behind the other person's arguments, then show how they do not align with Scripture. We also acknowledge that Scripture does command us to help the poor, and we show how Christians, and even followers of false religions that in some ways steal from the Christian worldview, do a much better job of helping the poor than those making the accusations against us do. So yes, conservatives in general to some degree, 
and especially Christian conservatives, care for the poor, and we do a much better job than those who attempt to do so by just voting in higher tax laws and letting taxes care for the poor, while rarely doing much to directly support the poor themselves. And the statistics support me in making that claim. I hope in future episodes to give more practical ways and more practical things that Christians can do to help the poor, not the general statements and ideas I have given in this and other episodes, but an entire episode giving very practical, maybe even some ideas of step-by-step that could be followed directly or used as guidelines for another idea of things people can do to help the downtrodden around them. Because doing this is an important part of holding to economics informed by theonomy, not just what laws should or should not be in place. So that was this week's episode of Theonomony. As we go, I want to remind everyone that the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace. Satisfies me, your law is sweet. Oh, you satisfy my soul.